Well, we are going to jump back into our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, this is what we're going through this spring. We're, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes. And the book of Ecclesiastes is the story of a man who was very wealthy. He was a king of Israel. He had a ton of wealth and he had a ton of opportunity. And so here's what he did. He tried it all and he did it all. And he did all the things, all the things that you would hope to do. He did them. He did all the things because he had the time and resources to do it. And he was trying it all and he did it all for the purpose of, I want to find meaning for my life and I want to get the most out of this life. I want to have purpose, meaning, I want my life to matter. And so he, he does all of these things. And then at the end of it, he compiles his findings in the book of Ecclesiastes and he gathers a group of people together and he shares his findings. And he goes by the title of the preacher. That's what he refers to himself throughout the book. And what we see is that much of what the world had to offer, because he tried it all and did it all, much of what the world had to offer was what he would call hevel. It's a Hebrew word, hevel, and it means mist, vapor, and otherwise vanity. It's empty. It's hollow. And what he's saying is, is there's so many things that you could chase in this world, but I want you to know that what you're chasing, if it's not the Lord, what you're chasing is hevel. It's a mist. It's a vapor. It, it, it's elusive. You think that you're going to get meaning and value and purpose, and maybe, the, maybe it fills the, the hole in your heart. You know, you, I just get enough of this. And what you see is like, it's got some shape and form, but it's like a mist. You try to grab it, and it goes through your fingers. And last week, Pastor Chase was talking about the importance of worship and wealth when, when it comes to this life. And what he says is we are all worshipers of something. It's just a matter of what you worship. But then he also said that wealth, the accumulation of wealth, doesn't solve all your problems. In fact, it could even add to your problems. He said, but the key to enjoying this life is to be content, to be content with what you have and be thankful in the moment. We're here and now. And that was chapter five, and we're going to be in chapter six today because it comes right after it. And um, it's really a continuation of chapter five. It's, it's kind of five part two. And so there's not a new heading. This is a continuation of the final thought was, and be content. And so we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can go there. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in front of you, and it's on page 521 is where I'm going to be reading this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, take that one. That's a gift to you. We would love to, you, be able, you to be able to have the Word of God in your hands. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It's a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, 
yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place. All the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This is also vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage of the man, to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Real chipper text this morning, right? You're like, I brought friends today. <laughs> this always happens. No, 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 it's really good. It'll be really encouraging. What we're going to find is that this scripture, while it is sobering, is an incomplete thought, but it is an important thought. And we're going to find out about it today. And the message and the theme of today's message is this, joy in life is found by contentment in Christ. Joy in life is found by contentment in Christ. To be content, it means to be satisfied, to have an ease of mind, to, be, to have your mind be easy. You're not troubled by the things of the world. You're, you're satisfied in this moment. You're like, you know what? I'm at ease. I'm satisfied. I'm content. Ecclesiastes 5.18 says that we should enjoy our work where we are because this is our lot. This is what we have right now in this moment. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Yesterday's already passed. Today is what I have. Can I be grateful in this moment, in this allotment of my life? To be contented doesn't mean to be lazy, though. Contentment is not laziness nor does it mean lacking ambition. What it means is that I can be grateful now for what is now. That's what contentment is. I think to be satisfied with the progress that you've made today, to be satisfied with what you have in this moment, that I can have an ease of mind knowing that I did my best today with what I had I think one of the greatest examples of contentedness is something that we find right away in, in the Bible, in the first book of the Bible, in the first chapter of the Bible. We see God before creation. God exists as a triune Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three are there present in the creation of the world. And they create out of the overflow of their contentedness. And they create and they go, that's good. I'm satisfied. The next day, that's good. I'm satisfied. That's good. I'm satisfied. And he creates human beings. And I don't know if anybody's told you this or not, but God did not create you or me because he was lonely. He wasn't lonely. God wasn't lonely when he said, oh, you know what? I need to, I need to make billions of people, most of whom will reject me, and then I won't be lonely anymore. God did not create out of loneliness or out of deficit 
but he created out of the overflow of contentedness that he had amongst the triune Godhead. That God made me today for a reason and a purpose. I can be content in that. That whatever comes my way is meant to help make me more like Jesus. The good things, the bad things, the high things, the low things, the easy things, the the hard things, all of which are designed to help me be more like Jesus if I pay attention. And I could be content in that. But what we're going to see today, however, is that what happens when you refuse to be content with life now? And all scripture is God-breathed and beneficial for us. And so even the hard things and the heavy things and the weighty things and the sobering things like Ecclesiastes 6. But let this text serve as a sober warning. And I pray that it disrupts your life. That this disrupts your living, the way that you're living now. That it causes you to think and chew on it. And, and that, it, that it, it continues to, in some ways, bother you when you go home today going, what am I doing with my life and am I really content? And we need to learn about contentment continually because here's the reason. You're going to walk out of here in the next, I don't know, 35-ish minutes by the time we get to, you're going to walk out, right? You're going to be out in the parking lot and you're going to be bombarded with this. You're not content now There's something wrong with you or in you or about you, but there's something that can make you content and I just so happen to have it for a price, right? That's the message. That's all marketing, right? You're going to walk out today and you're going to be like, you know what? I feel a little bit hollow inside and you know what's going to help me? Subway, (laughs) right? And if you're like, some of you guys are like, I'm not having Subway. I'm like, that's okay because Dairy Queen is right over here, Right? Like, everywhere you go and everything you do, people are going to say, you're not enough, you don't have enough, you should, be un- you should be dissatisfied with what you have because I have the thing that's going to make you whole. I possess the thing that's going to, and for a price, you can have it and you can feel awesome and amazing and you will be whole if you just have this item of clothing, this car, this possession, living in this place, in that situation, then you will be satisfied But until then, you're going to be dissatisfied until you buy whatever it is that I'm offering. This is the message that you're going to hear on the way out of of the parking lot today. We need to constantly be reminded that joy in life is found by contentment in Christ. And what we're going to see today, that there are two massive enemies against contentment. Two huge enemies. Greed and arrogance. Greed and arrogance are two of the biggest enemies to your contentment. And that's what Ecclesiastes 6 lays out for us today. We're going to look at the first one. We're going to look at greed. Remember, chapter 6 is the continuation of the thought from chapter 5 where it ends to you encouraged to be content. And then right away in verse 2, 1 and 2, we see a man who has accumulated everything but joy. He's got everything. He's got riches. He's got possessions. He's got honor. Man, those are intoxicating things. Money, things, 
notoriety. I have stuff. I have wealth. I have a popular name. He says he's got it all. And then he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God did not give him the power to enjoy them. The, evil, the, the preacher says that this is evil. It's the, the evil that he refers to in Ecclesiastes is the sin of greed that men and women are so prone to. The Theology of Work commentary says this, If joy in our work does not come as a gift from God, then it does not come at all. If joy in our work does not come as a gift from God, then it does not come at all. We lack joy when we are not looking to God for our satisfaction. And when we look to God for our satisfaction, then our work becomes a gift that we can just enjoy. It doesn't define us. It doesn't make us more valuable as human beings. It doesn't give us depth of our soul. But what it is, is it's a gift. It gives us a chance to exercise what we have, who we are, for the betterment of other people. That's a wonderful gift. Work is a beautiful gift. Work was in the Garden of Eden before sin was in the Garden of Eden. And he says he's got joy in his work. If you have joy in your work, you see it as a gift. And it doesn't matter what kind of work it is. My second favorite job of all time, so my first job, my first favorite job is being a pastor. I really do love what I do. Um, my second favorite job, though, was working the information booth at the Memorial Union when I was in college. Like, loved that job. Because every day, I worked for 10 minutes and had 50 minutes of a lull where I could just talk to my friends. Like, it was amazing. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm kind of a chatty Kathy, so that really helped me. Right? I got to say hi to people. I got to help people. Love that job. You know what I was making? Like $5 an hour. Like I was not making a whole lot of money. And most of that money went to the ticket booth next door for that because there's Ticketmaster right there. So I could go, I would save up and go to concerts or buy some Subway. Right? <laughs> it's what you could afford. Right? And so, like, the amount of money didn't determine my enjoyment of the job. You know what was amazing about that job? When I punched out of work, when I clocked out and I was done with work, I was done with work. I didn't think about it until I came back the next day. And I had ease of mind that was really, really awesome. You can find joy in any work if you treat it as a gift from the Lord. But we lack that joy when we refuse to look to God for our satisfaction. The relational needs and the hungers that we have are found in Christ. And when we don't turn to him, we look to other things. And that's what this man did. And he got greedy because he said, you know what? It must not be, I must not be doing it right. I, I need more. I need more. I need more. I need more. I need another raise and another raise and another raise and another raise. And I need another car and another thing and another thing and another thing. And I need more awards and more honor and more notoriety and to be noticed by everybody. And then, and then, and then I'll be satisfied but he was greedy for so much and he was looking in the wrong places for the meaning of his life 
And God did not give him joy, the satisfaction of that, because he was greedy for it. He wasn't looking at it as a gift. He was looking at it to gain something. He was sinning. He was greedy. And to find everlasting joy in greed would drive us to all kinds of unspeakable evil. If we really enjoy greed, greed will feel good for a little bit, but eventually it just warps your soul. Because if we were to find joy in greed, we would find joy in oppression and exploitation. We would find joy in crimes against humanity because everything would exist for my gain. And yet God would hold joy from sin, and that actually is a tremendous gift from the Lord. If you're frustrated because you haven't found rest in Jesus Christ, if you are frustrated by life and the emptiness and the hollowness that it always seems to never satisfy you, that is a gift. You're getting thirsty. That thirst drives you to Jesus, who is the well that never runs dry. And yet the pattern of the world is that greed is the only thing that will satisfy. Like many of you, last week I, I watched the Super Bowl, which feels weird because it seems like way more than a week ago. But I was watching the Super Bowl and we were watching the commercial and one of the commercials came on for a, a, a company called, I don't know if I'm saying this right, Temu, T-E-M-U, uh, Temu, I think is how you say it. If not, doesn't matter, I'm not using it. Um, But what's really interesting is the commercial was a woman who was on her phone and she liked something and so she pushed a button and then she got it. She pushed another button. It was a shopping website and she just kept on pushing the button and every time she'd push the button, something else would appear around her and they all had a price tag on it and all these price tags were like $5.99, $7.98. It was just all these like all these cheap prices, and she just kept on pushing the button, and things kept on accumulating around her, and finally the end is her happy, literally dancing by a fountain with all of her possessions around her, and the slogan was, shop like a billionaire. Shop like a billionaire. And I'm watching this commercial, and I look over at my kids, and I go, look at all that hevel. which probably makes you grateful why like you didn't watch the Super Bowl with me, right? You're like, dude, you're such a downer. And I'm like, I needed that for a sermon illustration. You need to just walk with me here, right? But the idea was if I could just shop and indiscriminately spend, then I will be happy, even if it's a bunch of cheap garbage, right? I can just shop like a billionaire because if I can shop like a billionaire and indiscriminately spend, that means I can feel like a billionaire. And if I was a billionaire, then I would be satisfied. And that's how all the commercials were. If I just had this, then I could do this, and then I would be satisfied. But Ecclesiastes warns us we know this to be true. And verse 6, I think, is very sobering. Even if a person were to live 2,000 years, if they were to live 1,000 years and then another 1,000, they would not be content apart from God. Because greed is a bottomless pit. There's no bottom to greed. There's no amount of stuff 
stuff that you can accumulate, no amount of awards that you could have that would leave you satisfied. Greed always leaves you wanting more. You're not going to find satisfaction in greed. God's not against you having stuff. He's against stuff having you. But somehow you're going to turn to the accumulation of your stuff and your bank account and your awards and your accolades and you're going to say, now I'm going to be satisfied. It's not going to satisfy you. The other enemy to contentment is arrogance. Arrogance, verse 8. For what advantage has the man over the fool? I mean, we both get hungry, we both get thirsty, and we are both going to die. We saw the same thing in chapter 4, and we need to be reminded of this. That someday you're going to die. It's a limiting factor to us. We're not going to cheat death or aging. You're not going to cheat that. It's going to happen to you. No matter how much you hide it on the outside, internally you know that you're getting older. And your faculties don't work the same ways. And your mind isn't as sharp. And it starts, everything starts to wind down and That's going to happen to all of us. To all of us. And to think that we're going to beat that is arrogance. And to think that we can be everywhere all at once is arrogance because we're not God. You can't be in two places at once. You're not omnipresent. You can't be all-powerful. You have limitations I have limitations. There are things that I just can't do, even though I want to. Dunk a basketball, just can't. Be goodly in math and English, I can't. There are certain things that we just have limitations, and we all have them. And the best thing that we can do is understand that we have limitations, accept those limitations, and then work within the framework of which we do have. That's a beautiful thing to be like, you know what? I have X amount of days here on earth. I am in this place at this time. And no matter how smart I think I am, I'm not God. I am limited. And to accept that actually starts to bring about the contentment that you were looking for. In verses 10 through 12, it says, What has come has already been named, and it was known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. I love that. What's been, what's, what's, whatever has come has already been named. I love this because it gives me great confidence in God and in his word. And the reason why it does is because mankind in ancient times struggled with the same things that we do now. I've talked with people who are like, I don't read the Bible. I don't follow God because that's archaic. That's old. That's old-fashioned. And we've evolved as a species. We're, we're so much further advanced as a human race than we were back then when they had to rely on their God. I, I'm, I'm way advanced beyond that. 
And I was like, yeah, I know what you mean because the Bible talks about greed and arrogance and oppression and biting sarcasm. I'm so glad we're past that, aren't you? Aren't you so glad that as human beings, we've just evolved past being greedy and malicious and gossips? I'm so glad. No, we haven't evolved past that or because no matter the technological advances in the world, we still have a heart issue. All of us have this. We're prone to gossip. We're prone to greed. We're prone to arrogance. We have a heart issue, and that issue has not changed in a thousand years. Mankind is born broken with a heart that wants to turn away from God and destroy other people for personal gain. Men and women have not evolved past our sins nor can we improve on God's created order. Man's best efforts, apart from God, crumble under the weight of life. I'm going to say that again. Man's best efforts, apart from God, crumble under the weight of life. Life, time, situations, it all is hevel. It all is vapor. It, it will decay. It breaks down. All of mankind's systems apart from God, all of mankind's things apart from God. Time takes them all under the weight of life. If you want to do a little fun Google search this afternoon, look up former Olympic venues like the Olympics, like this worldwide thing, and people build these massive structures and they're state-of-the-art at the time. And then when the Olympics are over, everybody leaves away and then time just takes them over. It's really fascinating to watch what man's best efforts are over time and the weight of life. And it says, the more words, the more vanity. Ain't that the truth? Right? The more we talk, the more we expose what's in our hearts, and what's in our hearts is really vanity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something right now, and it's two parts, and the first part is just going to hurt, but I'm going to say it because I love you. You are not as important to the world as you would like to be. You're just not, nor am I. We are not as important to the world as we would like to be or as we would like to think we are. Your comment on that thread with 50 other comments like doesn't add to the world. You're not as important. Someday you're going to die and you'll be forgotten even by family members. Like your great, great, great grandkids might not even know your name. The world will go on. Your job goes on without you. You're not as important. You're limited. And you'll be forgotten. And it's good to know our limits. It's good to know our limits and have a sober assessment of who we are. I pray that this is like a rumble strip on a road for you. You ever driven over a rumble strip? Right? It's annoying. It's like, because it interrupted a perfectly good nap. 
right? <laughs> right? You hit the rumble strip, and why do you hit the rumble strip? And you're like, ah, you know, you, don't they know I'm texting, right? Like, <laughs> but a rumble strip is there to warn you from impending doom. It's better to hit a rumble strip than drive off a cliff. And so let this serve, this truth serve as a rumble strip in your life to get your attention. It's good to know you'll die and someone else will get your stuff. And they might not even like your stuff. They'll probably just throw it away. (laughs) Going, why did dad save this? Why did mom want this? What is this? a rotary phone. (laughs) It's good to know that. The preacher ends with these two questions. Who knows what's good for man? And who knows the future? That's what he's asking. He goes, because who knows what's good for man? If we're limited and we have this, this, we're locked in time, we're locked in a location, we're locked in this place, we have so many days, we're locked with our understanding of how the world works, we have what we have, but who really knows what's good for man when we all have limited information? And who knows what the future holds? The questions are rhetorical, but the answer is God. He's the one who knows what's good for us. He's the one who knows our future. Like I said, there's a a lesson here. It's a two-part lesson. You are not as important to the world as you would like to be. But you're more precious to God than you realize. You're not as important to the world as you would like to be. But you are more precious to God than you realize. You're like, how can you be so sure of that? We have his word. God wrote us a book to say who we are and who we could be in him and who he is and how he loves us and what he's like. He cares about you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows your innermost thoughts. He knows your fears and your struggles. He knows your future from your past. He knows you before the foundations of the world. He knows everything, everything, everything about you and loves you. That's pretty cool. Like he knows everything about you, even the crazy, ugly parts. And he loves you. And I want to I want to show you this from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And this is where we find contentment. These are the words of Jesus. And as I read this, I want you to see, like it says, therefore I tell you. When Jesus says you, I want you to think you. So you can put your name in there if you would like. But think that Jesus is speaking to you, okay? So look it through that lens as we look at the words of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or where you will drink or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the fields, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, the richest king of all of Israel, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not more, much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek, Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows, them, knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Contentment is the ease of mind to be satisfied. And you can trust that the care of God and the goodness of God will take care of you. You don't need to worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear. You can trust that what you have for today is enough for today. And that if God cares about the birds of the field and the grass of the land, he cares so much more for you. And if you want to seek after things, seek after the kingdom of God. Seek him. Because joy is found in contentment in Christ. You can know him. You can trust him. You can seek first the kingdom of God. Stop chasing after the things of this world, thinking they're going to give you security, hope, and a future. It's not going to satisfy. But what will satisfy is Jesus. Everything else will leave you thirsty. Jesus is the water that satisfies. How can I find joy in this life? By contentment, being at ease, and being satisfied in Christ. And you do that by abiding, by remaining, by staying connected to. Do you know that um, satisfaction, contentment, and peace is a byproduct of staying close to Jesus? It's a byproduct of staying close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Be in his word. Gather with his people. Trust his spirit that dwells within you. Celebrate the things that he celebrates. Stay away from the things that he stays away from. Follow in his footsteps. Abide in Christ because joy in this life is only going to be found by contentment in Christ. Let's pray.